Welcome to another inspirational podcast from Junction 28 Church. We're so glad that you've decided to join us today and know that God wants to bless you with this message. We'd love to hear about it, so why not tell us on our Facebook or Twitter pages? If you would like further information about who we are, check out our website www.thejunction28church.com We hope you enjoy this message. premise to this whole message today uh, is simply this, that God never intended for any of us, that means me, that means you, and any Christian believer on the face of the planet, God never intended us to do the Christian life alone. Together is better. Like, I'm aware that that sounds like a bit of a cliche when I come up with titles. For, I'm not one of these people that particularly likes clever titles for messages and stuff like that. Some people are just, I guess some people are just better at coming up with titles than I am. It always sounds like it's an old cliche when I, uh, when I name a message. I prefer to just say we're talking about this topic and that's it. But, um, you know, I'm aware that together is better sounds like a bit of an old cliche, doesn't it? But you know what? I don't mind an old cliche if, in fact, it's got some truth in it. And I believe that that is a really true statement, especially for the context that we're looking at this morning. Uh, So together is better. The reason I'm speaking on this topic this morning is, as you've heard from the notices, it's only a couple of, uh, another few weeks, early October, that we're going to be starting up connect groups again. And I'm aware that uh, a lot of you have been part of our connect groups in the past. I know they've been um, closed for the last uh, few months as we've been uh, revamping things and uh, getting ready to launch them again. But this is an exciting season because I love connect groups and I'm going to be running one of them. Woo-hey! So uh, that don't mean that all of you can come to my house because it's just not big enough. Um, <laughs> So there's going to be other connect groups for you to go to. More of that information is going to be, uh, is going to be made known soon. Uh, so I'm, I really want us to start looking at this area, this important area of our lives, which is relationships and connection. And the truth is that relationships are a hugely important part of any person's life, any human being, right? Uh, but specifically for us in our Christian context, I would go as far as to say that relationships are a vital part of our discipleship. And when I say vital, I don't mean like very, very important. I mean as in, if you don't have them, you just won't go very far. You're likely to just fizzle out as a Christian and you're likely to not be a believer at the end of your life. You know, that's how I want to stress this point strongly. God created us for community. So you alone, and I want to say this in the nicest possible way, so hear what I'm saying, not what I'm not saying. You alone can't actually achieve very much. All right? Just let the silence be deafening for a second. You alone can't actually do very much. And I don't mean that as a put down. Um, But what I mean is this. You plus community. You plus the glorious church of Jesus Christ is a recipe for flourishing. You alone can't achieve very much. But you plus community, as in others, as in the people that are sat around you right now, even if you've never spoken to them before, is a recipe for God's best in your life. So the big idea around today's message is that, you know, the best you, say you are at your best when you're rooted in and you're knitted together with the people of God. When you're part of the church, essentially, the community of believers. Now you might ask, and quite rightly so, you know, why is that? It's an important question, isn't it? Why why does mankind not bode well? Why does it not go for us, go very well for us when we try and do things alone? 
And that is a very important question. It's a question I've been asking myself all this week as I've been getting ready for this message. And the answer to that essentially lies with the one that created you. So God created you. And the answer lies with him. To understand something properly, uh, this is the thing, to understand something properly, you have to understand how it was designed. You have to understand its purpose and uh, the, the, the intricacies of its design. And it's no different with mankind. Human beings were designed by God to be in community. Now, some of us don't like community. I'm going to come on to that a little bit and hopefully do away with some of the misconceptions and that kind of thing as well. But God created us to be in community. That's the way that we were designed. It's in your DNA, if you like. And because it's a part of our DNA, because it's a part of our design, you can't get away from it. There's no escape in it, is there? And that is one of the knock-on effects of that, is that when we resist community, and we try to step back from community, and we try to go it alone, and we make ourselves isolated, you know, this may sound like a little bit uncomfortable to some people this morning, but that's okay. We want the message to be challenging, don't we? When we step, separate ourselves from community, we suffer, right? When we step away from community, we suffer for it. So let's go to that verse in Genesis. Genesis chapter 2. This is uh, talking about creation. And it's just, this one, just a few words. Okay, Genesis 2, 18 says this. Very famous words. A lot of you will have obviously heard. It says, God said, it is not good for man to be what? To be alone. Very important words. Right at the start of the biblical narrative. Of all the things God could have started with, he says it's not, it's not good for man to be alone. Now obviously, you know, if you carry on reading from that point, uh, you know, you'll realise that God is speaking you know, specifically in the context of, of marriage. About a man and a woman coming together to serve one another and to serve God and, uh, and to be in the amazing relationship that is marriage. But because the Bible emphatically shows us example after example of how mankind just does better when he's with other people and how he does not so well when he separates himself from people. It's, I think it's um, okay for us uh, to say that here in Genesis 2, this can be expanded to more than just marriage relationship. This is relationships in general. It's not good for man to be alone. It's not good for woman to be alone. So God, community is God's idea, isn't it? Community is God's idea. It's something that we didn't come up with. And you know, the reason for this is, I think I've stated this before, and you've probably heard this before, that the reason that it's God's idea and not ours is because God, think about it, before creation, before the whole universe, before everything else, what was there? There was God. And God functions within a community, doesn't he? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We're created in God's image. That's what the Bible says. You and I were both created in God's image. And he's a relational being. It coexists within the Trinity, which is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So before you were even breathed into existence, there was a community. And God decided the best thing for mankind, being created in his image, is to be relational beings just the same as he is. So he wants you to function in community. Like what strikes me amazingly about this, about this short verse in Genesis is that, you know, after all the stages of creation, you know, on this day God created that, and what did he say? It's good. This is good. And after that day, God said, oh, this is good. And then he created this on this day, and God said, this is good. And up to that point, everything, God says, this is really good. He looks at his creation and says, this is, this is fantastic. 
But then he all of a sudden announces something that isn't good. So in the midst of all this goodness, he goes, boom, actually I've spotted something that isn't good. There's, there's a flaw in all of this. And what was it? It was the fact that man was alone. It was Adam alone. And God realized, this, this isn't going to go well for him. I'm going to create someone for him. I'm going to create a woman so that he can be married. And I'm going to create people so that he can have relationships. So that he can function like Father, Son and Holy Spirit does within a community. Like one thing that's become clear to me, um, you know, over time, whenever you talk about community, I think I've done a couple of messages on it, maybe over the last few years. You probably don't remember them because they may not have been very good. But every time, um, don't laugh. Gosh, that's awkward, Chris. Um, so <laughs> so um, every time that I mention community, uh, people seem to look at you as though like you're dropping from another world or something like that. They think that you're from a different planet or, you know, they just like cynically roll their eyes and think, oh gosh, here we go again. Message on community. This is just another ploy, uh, you know, from church leaders to try and get us to attend more meetings and go to this thing and go to that program that they've put on. Everything's all about programs with the church, isn't it? And they always want attenders. It's, it's so much more than that. So much more than that. We do want you to attend things, absolutely, because we believe that they're for your good. And we believe that by participating in them, you do become part of the community. But community is so much more than programs, events, and what you're doing right now. This is the, that's, the community goes so much deeper than that. Some people, when you mention community, just smile tolerantly and uh, just you know, hope that you're going to change the subject. Like, <laughs> I wish you'd shut up. Um, like, some people just get this misconception that, you know, talking community, you're going to get all radical and, like, make out that, uh, you know, to be in true community means that you're going to, uh, you have to sell all your possessions and they start quoting, you know, points from the book of Acts, you know, early church where, you know, they shared all the possessions and that kind of thing. Like, you're going to have to put all of your, sell everything that you've got and put all your money into one communal pot of gold for everybody to share. Or that you're going to live like a radical hippie on some caravan site where you're no more than 10 yards away from each other and spend all of your time together. Can I just say, that's your perception of community or what you thought I was going to get onto uh, as I started speaking today. You couldn't be further from the truth, okay? Because I just think that's mental as well, okay? Um, let's move on. So, you know, we start to imagine, don't we? We start to imagine something that it sounds more like a cult than the Church of Jesus Christ, doesn't it? And because we misunderstand the idea of community, many Christians just don't want to think about it at all. But we realise that this is, this is a massive, it's a pretty huge theme of scripture. Boom, it hits us straight there in the second chapter of Genesis. Community is a massive theme of scripture. It's a biblical call to healthy participation in community. So we can't just like brush it under the carpet and say, you know, I'll attend church, that's community for me. There's something bigger than that, isn't it? And so to avoid thinking about community simply because we misunderstand it will actually deprive me and you of one of God's greatest gifts to mankind. By just not thinking about it and pushing it to one side will deprive me and you of one of God's greatest gifts to mankind. And you know what? I admit, community, I guess, has been poorly interpreted by us. You know, when I was, uh, say, around about 17 or 18, and I was reading the Bible every day, I was really passionate for God. And I used to, I've got to be honest, I used to read through the New Testament and think, oh, you know, this sounds quite radical. They did live in close proximity and all that kind of thing. But you start to misinterpret things. You stop looking at the context of the day and that kind of thing, and you think, oh, that will work now, and you realize that it won't. And, uh, and so we have interpreted it poorly. You know, 
it isn't this concept of living in cl close proximity to each other and never being apart. You know, and I've heard it portrayed that way. But neither is it the other end of the scale where, you know, it's this placid world of tea and coffee and biscuits after the meeting that you quickly rush through before you hurry off, get in your car and get back to your busy life. Okay? It's not that either. You, you've got to get away from these two extremes. Like, I'm not saying we shouldn't do that after the meeting, so I don't want anybody getting up afterwards and saying Nathan says we shouldn't hang around after, after the meeting. You know, it's important that we, that we do that as well. Because, you know, it's better that we do that than nothing. You know, I'm, I'm aware that we've all got busy lives, but you know what, let's not be too busy for each other, okay? Um, community, as I've already stated, is God's idea, and it's inten his intention for all people. It's the, the gift of a rich and challenging life together. You know, one that we essentially need, essentially need, as in like you don't, won't do very well without it at all, and one that you can receive with joy. Christian community is simply sharing a common life in Christ. And when I say common, I don't mean like coal miner, you don't speak very well. I mean a common life in Christ where you've got the same interests, okay? It moves us beyond the immaturity of you know this self-isolated life where everything's about me and I keep myself private, I keep myself to myself uh, you know because we don't want to embrace anybody else we don't want to participate in community for fear of inconvenience let's just be real with each other this morning sometimes we resist community but just because the main reason is it's inconvenient isn't it? let's just be honest I can hold my hand up and say that most of the time if I'm resisting community it's because it's inconvenient to me and sometimes you just don't want the inconvenience of, you know, having people over for dinner. You don't want the inconvenience of participating in that social night that's happening. You don't want the inconvenience of joining that group of mums that meets weekly to pray for their children. You don't want that inconvenience of, you know, that pesky men's group that always seems to organise meetings when I'm really, really, really busy. We don't want the inconvenience of all these things, do we? But we all live busy lives, and there's, you know, there's always a million things to do, isn't there? There's always a million things to do. Let's just get out of the way, get, get that out of the way. The 21st century, there isn't anybody that's not busy. Well, there's not many people that's not busy, is there? You know, I, I speak to people that are retired sometimes, and I thought the whole point of retiring was that you then start to slow down or something, but is anybody retired in this place? Quite a few people. Um, is it busy, or is it like, easy, or what? Very busy. Do you know what I mean? You retire, for goodness sake, so that you can chill out, but you stay busy, don't you? This is the 21st century. This is the, the, the life that we live in. It's the culture, the society that we're in. But the, necess the necessity of community still doesn't go away because it's planted into your DNA. As we saw, God made us and said it's not good for man to be alone. You need people in your lives. You need community to function well and to live up to your potential and to flourish like God wants you to flourish, to live the fullness of life that Jesus so emphatically stated that he wants you to live. You need community just like you need oxygen to live and water and food. Just like, you know, plants need soil uh, and they need nutrients and they need sunlight to be able to grow and to flourish, you need relationships, you need community in order that you can live and grow as well. Otherwise, you will just exist and you will never grow. And I'll go as far as to say, actually, you'll just shrink back. Like if that important element of our lives is neglected, then guess what? We suffer 
and we gradually die out. You, you just, you, have you ever seen a flower in your back garden? We've got loads in our back garden at the minute. More weeds than flowers. I'm trying to cut them all out. But you know, when you have got a beautiful flower that's starting to grow, Noah's growing a sunflower at the minute, and it's doing amazing. It's great. It looks awesome. It's better than any sunflower I ever managed to grow, because I just didn't have the patience when I was younger. I used to just flood it and expect it to grow. But you know, if you, if you don't have the key elements, you know, the sunlight, nutrients, the soil, good soil for it to grow in, it withers and dies out. And that's the, that's the image, the spiritual image that uh, you know, I have in my mind of a person that resists the people around them, that resists community. Now, I'm aware that there are toxic people in our lives as well. And the Bible goes, speaks you know, quite a lot about that as well, about the company that you keep. You know, I'm not saying that that means that you shouldn't ever visit a pub or anything like that, or you shouldn't stand next to the person who smokes, or anything religious and legalistic like that. I'm saying, you know, the Bible says bad company corrupts good character, doesn't it? So I'm aware that, you know, there are toxic people in our lives that are to be avoided. But on the whole, community is a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful thing. It's a gift. It's a blessing from God. And human beings just don't bode well in isolation, do they? You know, I thought about it this way during the week. You know, why do you think that solitary confinement is such a good method of punishment? You know, you think about a prisoner in, uh, who's doing time in, in, in prison and, you know, through bad behaviour or whatever, they get put in solitary confinement, maybe because they're too dangerous to be with the rest of the, the community of prisoners. You know what, and within, you know, a few weeks, I've heard it said, they start to break down, like, big time because they're deprived of something that is essential to humanity. You know, you think about loneliness, it's, it's an epidemic amongst humanity, isn't it? Think of the thousands, of, thousands upon thousands of songs that during your lifetime you've heard come on the radio that centre around this theme of loneliness. You know, they're, they're ten a penny, aren't they, as my grandma would have said. They're everywhere. So whether we recognise it or not, we crave community because it's implanted in your DNA. And the good news for Christians is that God created you for community. And he didn't just leave it at that and say, well, you know, good luck. He said he created the most phenomenal community on the face of the planet, the church. That's been going for over 2,000 years now. The church of Jesus Christ. You know, you just think about it. I thought about this this week. You know, the church is amazing in so many ways, but, you know, thinking from a community aspect, when the church, when my family, because that's what you are, when my brothers and sisters, because that's what we are to each other, uh, love and accept me, you know, I feel Christ's love too. Do you? When I confess my sin, you know, when there's things going on in my life with the flaws and the failures that I have, and I, and I confess them to you, and you forgive me, I feel Christ's Forgiveness as well. When you pray for me and you know in moments of my life where there's struggle and there's pain, uh, I know that the church, the community is sharing in the healing work of Jesus in my life. It's a phenomenal thing, isn't it? The church is at its best. The church at its best is, is just this phenomenal community where there's acceptance, where there's grace, where there's love and where there's a common desire to see one another flourish. The church doesn't do so well when it's at the opposite end of the scale where there's competitiveness, where there's agendas and where there's all kinds of disruption and division because you, it's basically one-upmanship is what it comes down to in its essence, isn't it? Church is at its best 
when we live for each other. You know, in our tough and challenging world, you know, when we feel crushed by, uh, you know, life's ever-changing circumstances. I'm sure you've had circumstances just going on this week that's been pretty tough in your lives. Um, and you're, you're, you're faced with the, you know, the nagging feeling of your own flaws and your own failures, because we're all human beings. To have our Christian community, the church, surrounding us with compassion and with encouragement, it lightens the load, doesn't it? I don't know about you. I, I feel like I have a spring in my step when I shouldn't have a spring in my step. You know, there's times that I'm praying and there's times that I'm, uh, you know, praying here at the building during the week, uh, you know, for all of you guys and praying for the church as a whole. And I just feel, you know, without getting super spiritual or anything like that, I just feel this overwhelming sense of, you know, love and unity that seems to just make the issues that are going on in my life a little less um, in your face, so to speak. It lightens the load, doesn't it? So... Um, and I believe that's exactly what, shh, Jimmy, behave. And so I, exact, I believe exactly, it's put me off now. I believe exactly what, that is what's being spoken of in Hebrews uh, 10, 23 and 25. I've not written this down for the team, so I apologize. But I'll just read this out. Hebrews 10, 23 to 25 says, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing. And that doesn't just mean that you come along to lots of meetings. Can I just say, I've heard it interpreted that way before in the past. That, you know, that's talking exactly about the you know, Sunday meetings. Come along to the Sunday meetings. One thing, they're fantastic and they'll encourage you. But it's talking about everything. Meeting up and being together. Don't give up uh, meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Every day that goes by is a day closer to the return of Jesus Christ. So when it says as you see the day approaching, that means today, right? That means today. Encourage one another all the more as you see the day approaching. God's call to community, you know, isn't... I'll, I'll be honest, it isn't for the faint-hearted, because like I said, there'll always be, you know, 20 other things that are, you know, very important on your agenda. But God's call to community challenges us to commit ourselves to life together as the people of God. And I've said this before, what's phenomenal about the church is that you're sat in a room enjoying my company. You know, without Jesus Christ, some of us probably wouldn't spend any time together, would we? Let's just be honest with each other. It's not getting at anybody or anything like that. But there's so many different personalities in the church. The church is so diverse that if it wasn't for this one common interest, the love of Jesus Christ that's unified us, a lot of us wouldn't spend any time together. And that's the amazing thing about the church. And God calls us to that because he says, actually, this is going to make you mature. This is going to make you mature. I think most of us would agree, right, that the, you know, the goal of our faith the goal of our Christianity is to become mature, isn't it? That, you know, that's the process of sanctification, becoming more and more like Jesus every day that goes by, so that year after year, decade after decade, at the end of your life, you're more like Jesus than the moment that you gave your life to him. That's the process of sanctification. It doesn't mean that you become a perfect person. It, become, it means that uh, as you submit yourself to Jesus, as you stay humble, as you give yourself to the community of believers, to the church, and, uh, uh, and you will flourish and hopefully, as time goes on, you'll become more and more like Jesus Christ. And you won't mature alone. That's the thing. You won't mature alone. Most of us uh, will agree that maturity 
takes a lot of time, doesn't it? You know, you just think of the, you know, teenage boy. I remember being 13 and thinking I knew it all. And then 10 years goes by and you think, oh my gosh, I didn't know anything at all. You know, maturity takes time, doesn't it? It's a gradual process. But what we don't quite know quite so much is that maturity also requires your brothers and sisters. It requires the person who sat over there. And for that person, it requires the person that sat over there. It requires each other. This isn't a go-it-alone deal. It's, it's a process that's revealed in the each other language of the New Testament I've written here. You know, love one another. Forgive each other. Regard each other more highly than yourselves. Teach each other and correct each other. Encourage each other. Pray for each other. Bear each other's burdens. Be friends with one another. Be kind and compassionate and generous in hospitality. Serve one another and submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. It's all over the New Testament. It's all over the New Testament. It's all over the Old Testament as well, but even more so in the New Testament. This theme of community just increases even more. That list just scratches the surface, but it's enough to remind us that we need the community of faith to grow up in Jesus, isn't it? Yeah? You can't do it alone, and if you think that you can do it alone, I mean it in the nicest possible way, but that shows your immaturity. Okay? The person that comes to me and says, you know, I, I, I need... That, you know that person you may not even get along with them that much but I think that's a real sign of maturity when you're willing to spend time with somebody when you're willing to love somebody when you're willing to serve somebody even if you don't necessarily have anything in common apart from the fact that you love Jesus that is maturity so the church is an amazing thing not only uh, is its purpose to reach those that aren't yet a part of it to reach out to the world reach out to the lost its goal is also that individually and together we should become mature by being in the community together. Proverbs 27:17 says this. A lot of you will know this. This is a famous verse too. Proverbs 27:17 says, "As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another." You know, community sharpens us. It makes us better people. It matures us, it builds each other up so that we won't get to the point, uh, so that we get to the point, sorry, where we're no longer knocked around by all of life's uh, challenges and all the waves that come at us and knock us off course. Um, it gets us to the point where we're not knocked over by all of life's ever-changing circumstances, but you're able to stand tall and you're able to stand straight embodying the fullness of Jesus Christ. That's what it says, that's what it talks about, the language in Ephesians 4. You can read that for yourselves. And so, what's interesting about the Bible is this, that it holds two amazing truths, two very amazing truths in complete tension. Okay, so it doesn't overemphasize the one for the sake of the other. Alright, it holds two, two amazing truths uh, in tension. The first one being that I am amazing. And now I don't mean that in an arrogant way or anything. I don't mean like you step into the room and you all fall over because the glory that is you know, protruding out of me is just so magnificent. Some people do walk around like that, don't they? But you know what? That's not what I'm talking about. The Bible says I am amazing. It says that you are amazing as an individual. You know, just the language of uh, Psalm 139 verse 14 says, I praise you because I am what? Because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful and I know that full well. Your works, God, as in your works in creating these individual human beings, is fantastic because you made us fearfully and wonderfully made. That's amazing. 
Don't you think that that is one? I can't get my head around that sometimes. That this this amazing truth that as an individual I am amazing, that I am unique, that there's nobody like me. Some of you are thinking, oh, thank goodness for that. And you know the fact that I have a unique personality, very unique, my wife would say. And uh, you know the fact that I have a specific set of gifts specifically given to me to use for God's glory. That's amazing. You know, there will never, ever be another me. There'll never be another Nathan Bonham on this planet. That's, that's, that's amazing. Don't stop laughing. There's so much laughing going on over there, isn't there? This is a bit disheartening for me. I'm just going to get down in a minute. So, like, just think about it. The God of the Bible, not alone, not, not just that, not just as he made me fearfully and wonderfully made and he's made me unique and, he's, and he says, you're fantastic, but the God of the Bible, the God of the whole universe, the one that created us, actually then gives us a plan and a purpose for our lives. He doesn't let us live aimlessly. And sometimes we want to live aimlessly. We do it. We, we function that way sometimes. It's our desire to just live aimlessly and just, you know, just ebb away our existence. But God refuses to let us do that. He's on our case. He says, I've given you a purpose and I've given you a plan. It doesn't interfere with your free will. It's up to you whether you take that or not. But he says, I've got a plan and a purpose for your life. So if you're sat in the place this morning and you're thinking, you know, things aren't too great and you feel like you've lost your fire or whatever, you've got to know God's got a plan and a purpose for your life, whether you want it or not. It's, it's, it's yours to resist. So that is the first amazing truth that is held in tension. Uh, but a massive part of the Christian worldview is that the Bible shows us the idea of the magnificence of the individual, the magnificence of you, the magnificence of me, the in, and uh, against the backdrop of the beauty of community. As in, what I'm saying there is, the individual only discovers their magnificence when they function within the community. This is the thing, this is the deal. You don't get to be magnificent when, when you don't function within the community. This is the way that God has, God has made it. And not just in the church, just in... Uh, in general, this is, how he's made the, this is how he's made human beings to function. If you want to go it alone, you will make every effort to make yourself look good, because that's what we do as human beings. But if you're quite honest with yourself, you don't do a very good job of making yourself look very good, do you? I know I certainly don't. So I'll say that again. The individual only discovers their magnificence when they function in and are rooted in community. Community, if you like, brings out the individual's magnificence. Okay, and so therefore, that, what that what that means is this is the other uh, this is the other side of the worldview. So the, the the magnificence of the individual against the beauty of community, both of them need each other. All right, and uh, and so what that means is that God wants me to be a part of you. He wants me to to function well. He wants me to be all that I can be. But He says, if you're going to do that, He wants me to be a part of you, and He wants you to be a part of me. He wants me to find the glory of my individuality in the midst of the awesomeness of community. You know, and if I resist God's plan for my life to be a part of his amazing community and decide to go it alone, guess what? I will just slowly and gradually dwindle away more and more as time passes by. The more I resist it, the more I just fizzle out and die out. And so here's the thing. You know, as human beings, we tend to gravitate towards what comes naturally to us, don't we? Because you always want to do whatever the most comfortable thing is. And whatever the most comfortable thing is, usually what's come naturally to us, isn't it? And what comes naturally to us, like I've already said, is that we try to make ourselves look good. But in the process of trying to make ourselves look good, 
and sometimes you see the extremes of this, don't you? And you think to yourself, my gosh, what is that person doing? In the effort to make ourselves look good, we actually make ourselves look bad. We, give off, we like to give off this image that we can go it all alone and that we can you know, withstand the pressures of life and we can, we can achieve it all. And so we stand away from community and we like to show our independence, don't we? But if we're totally honest, it doesn't go well for us at all. You may think it goes well for you, or it may go well for you for a certain amount of time, but then eventually it catches up with you. As already stated, we were created for community. The independent, uh, you know, lone ranger was never a part of God's intentions. That is something that we have created for ourselves. You know, when sin entered the world, you just see it unfolding as the Bible goes along. People that thought that they could be a hero. People that thought, and there are heroes of the faith. Don't get me wrong, that's what I'm not getting at. But what I'm talking about is the person that thought we can go it along alone, we can achieve what we can achieve. And the root of it all is pride, isn't it? The root, essentially, is people that say, I don't need God and I don't need community because I can be my own saviour. Sometimes we do this in an effort to, you know, sometimes it can be in an effort to cover up our insecurities because we don't want people to see us as weak. Nobody wants to be seen as weak at all. But then in an effort to try and cover up, you're trying to cover up your insecurities. You try to avoid showing weakness. And in some ways we do it so that we can be our own authority. We just don't like submitting. That's one of the elements of community that some people don't like. Somebody's got to be in charge, okay? Somebody's got to be in charge. That's the way that God's ordained it right from the beginning. And there's just there's this, there's this flaw in humanity that just hates uh, authority, that just hates leadership. You see it in the workplace. Unfortunately, sometimes you see it in the church. You see it in families. You see it in schools. You see it all over the place. You know, you go to work tomorrow. Who's the most likely person that's going to start getting um, spoken about and slagged off? Who is it? It's the boss, isn't it? Most of the time, it's the boss. There's this flaw in humanity that just hates authority. So let's just be totally honest with each other now. Uh, Community is awkward, isn't it? Community can be awkward, can't it? Sometimes it's messy, as we've already stated. A lot of the time it's inconvenient too. And sometimes it can just be a downright effort to be part of. But even though, you know, it is all of those things at times, it's also glorious. It's also glorious. And more than that, it's God's way of making you flourish. This is one of the, you've got to see it this way. For you to embrace community, you've got to understand it this way, that Actually, community is one of the avenues that God uses to get blessing into your life. And by resisting it, you're actually resisting the blessing of God. Uh, Listen, we resist community to our own peril. It does more harm than good. Like you may be be here in this place today um, thinking... And I'm sure there are, I'm sure there's many people, and I've been in this place before, where you think, I'm, I'm waiting for a breakthrough from God. There's an area of my life, I'm waiting on a promise from God to, to come to fulfilment. I'm waiting on a breakthrough, I'm waiting to see the goodness of God in that area of my life. Has it never dawned on you that the goodness of God, the blessing of God, might be in somebody else? It might be in somebody else, because this is the way that God, this is often the way that God works. To get something to me, very often, he uses someone. He uses a person. For goodness sake, he used people to write the Bible. He didn't write it down himself. He used people to write the Bible. So you're not telling me that God doesn't use people to bring blessing into our lives. 
It doesn't just, uh, you know, 99 times out of 100, it doesn't just fall out of the sky. It actually takes, it, it, this is the thing, it takes effort. It means that you've got to form connections. It means that you've got to form relationships for your life to be richer. So in, in order to be blessed by another person, it might sound obvious, but you've got to have a relationship with that person. For you to be a blessing to somebody else, you've got to make the effort to connect with them and build relationship. You have, think of it in, in terms of gifting. You may have a gift that uh, you're thinking to yourself, you know, let's talk about our context in terms of the church. Um, you may have a gift from God that you want to use, right? And look, you might be the most gifted so-and-so in the whole world. You might be absolutely fantastic. But let me tell you, unless you've actually made the effort to cultivate relationships in your lives, most likely you won't ever be able to function with that gift. You won't ever be able to use it for God's glory because God gives us gifts for people, doesn't he? He gives us gifts to build up the church. That's what it comes down to. It, it, it isn't so that you have a nice, you know, wacky time in your prayer life at home on the living room floor or anything like that. You know, the spiritual gifts, the ministry gifts, they're all given to us for what? For the building up of the church. This is Ephesians. This is basic stuff. For the building up of the church. And you know, this is why uh, Lone Ranger ministries don't work. I call them Lone Ranger ministries. You know, you see people from time to time and you know, you get a phone call at the office and you know, this guy or this woman is a prophet to the nations. And they ring you up and say, oh, can I come and prophesy in your church? And you think, I'm not letting you loose. You're, you're bonkers. And uh, it's like, can I come and spend... But like, they might be bonkers, but more than that, why as a leader of, uh, of a church or a leader in any, in any sense... Would you want somebody coming along to your church, unleashing their gift all over the place, and then walking away and never seeing them ever again? That, to me, that something doesn't add up there, does it? You know, that, that sounds to me more like an ego trip than someone who genuinely cares about the kingdom of God. It's somebody who just wants to show off. Those kind of people fizzle out. They just don't go very far. They don't achieve very much. You know, I would never trust somebody like that. People like that don't take the time and the effort to build up relationships and build up connections. They think it's just all about them. They don't make the effort to participate in community. You know, any leader worth his salt will have spent a good season, a good spell of their life serving the church. And I don't mean doing exactly what they want to do as well. You know, we, we definitely push the fact that we want people to function wherever they can within their gift, okay, because that's what you're good at. But you know what? Sometimes maturity requires that you just do something for God. If there's an area that you need to serve, I'm not beyond picking a tea towel up and drying the cups, okay? I'm not beyond, you know, pushing a hoover around because there's going to be a, a, a meeting at the end of the week and it needs doing. You know what? We've got to be mature about these things. And anybody that wants the elevation of, you know, uh, of being released into their position and re being released into, you know, to use their gift, you've got to, ha you've got to have a season of, of, of planting yourself in the local church and serving to show that you've got a heart for the church. I would go as far as to say even, you know, even people that want to operate in a, say, like in a spiritual gift on a, on a, on a, in a meeting or something like that. I have a problem with anybody... Who wants to, with anybody, just have a problem with everybody in general. Uh, I'm joking, by the way. With anybody who wants to like, show off their gift, but you don't see them do anything in the church. I think that's a fair enough comment, isn't it? 
You don't see them do anything in the church. Like, I don't mean this to get at anybody or anything like that. I'm not talking about anybody specific. I'm speaking in general. If you want to have the privilege, which is, it is a privilege, isn't it? This is a church of Jesus Christ and he protects it. If you want to have the privilege of using your gift within the church, then you've got to love the church and you've got to show that you love the church as well. You've got to love the community. So, anyway, the connections that we make and the relationships that we build can be thoroughly life-giving if we're willing to put the time in to invest into them. And sometimes these relationships blossom and they open up and, and give you opportunity. You know, me, myself, I wouldn't be in the position that I'm in right now if I hadn't opened myself up to make connections with people and be part of community. It just wouldn't happen. Like most of you all know the saying, won't you? You get out of it what you put into it. You know, there's truth in that saying, isn't there? There's a lot of truth in that saying. If you're willing to invest in the people around you, then these relationships, uh, if you're not, sorry, if you're not willing to invest in the people around you, then these relationships will never be the source of life and the source of joy that God intends them to be. A believer needs to have people around them in order to live the Christian life well. The, a Christian life lived well is a Christian life that is lived serving God and serving people. A Christian life lived badly is a life that's lived for yourself. God never intended for you to go it alone. You know, some of us, for sure, some of us prefer our own company. You know, you wouldn't, I know you wouldn't think it because I'm speaking in front of loads of people this morning, but I, I prefer my own company a lot of the time. You know, me and myself get on quite well, actually. Um, and, uh, you know, and some people aren't too quick to just jump in. To just jump into something like community, uh, you know, and make connections with people because it feels uncomfortable, doesn't it? You might be a shy person. That's okay. You might be a shy person. You might be, you know, a bit of an introvert. You might not be the all-out somebody who wants to, you know, be your party animal and in front of everybody, like, oh, I'm here. You know, you might be a little bit introverted, and that's okay. You know, if you say to if you say to yourself, well, God just created that, uh, me that way. Okay, that's true. That's true. God created you that way. But then it doesn't mean that you get off scot-free. It doesn't mean then to say that, um, that God implies that just because you're a bit of an introvert and you're a bit shy means that you can do life alone. Because God knows that you're going to get isolated and eventually it's, it's going to do you a lot of harm. And God specifically says in Scripture, as we've already read, it's not good for man to be alone. So you don't get off scot-free scot -free here. There's something intentionally interwoven into the, into the human makeup that just means that we crave community and that we need it. Even when you resist it, you still need it. So we know full well now um, that we need community. I just want to turn our attention uh, just to another uh, couple of important questions. Uh, to another important question, rather. And that is, how do we then function well in community? You know that we need community. How do you function well in community? So this isn't going to be like an exhaustive, um, you know, overlook of the whole subject or anything like that. You could do a thousand sermons on this, I guess. But, you know, I've just got a few points that I want to bring out that I believe will help us. The first one being this. If you're taking notes, you can write it down. You can't only be a taker. Okay? You can't only be a taker. I know this, again, sounds basic stuff. I have to keep things basic for myself because I'm that kind of person. I understand things better if they're basic. You can't only be a taker in your relationships. One thing to point out that is true is that you won't ever um, grow in God if you don't have healthy re Christian relationships that feed into you. That's true, all right? 
But at the same time, you can't only be a taker. Having said that, it's very important that you understand that relationships aren't all about you. If your only motivation in relationships is what you can get from somebody else, what you can get from other people, then you know, you're just going to be you're going to be a thin, frail individual, and I don't mean physically speaking. I mean, you're going to be a thin, frail individual spiritually. There's, there's not going to be a lot of meat to your life. There's not going to be a lot of substance there. If, you're a, if that's how you approach relationships, it all being about you, your relationships, were, uh, it will suck the life out of the people around you. This, it does. I've, I've seen it happen. When everything's all about you, when every conversation that you ever have comes down to that. You know, I've actually been sat in awkward situations where, you know, you're sat with a group or sat in a three or something like that. And there's one person there that, even if the other person brings something up, you know, it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's great. Anyway, back to talking about me. And you just think, my word, this person, you feel drained, don't you, after you've spent time with somebody like that? If that's the way that you operate in your relationships, you'll suck the life out of the people around you. And rather than your relationships being a source of joy and health, you'll begin to cultivate resentment if that's the way that you function. Because relationships aren't all about you. The last thing you want to do is start cultivating resentment with the people around you. Because what eventually happens is you get well-meaning people that want to spend time with you because they've got a heart for you and because they love you. But a person's only got a th so much of a threshold, all right? I know this sounds heartless. A person's only got a th so, much of a so much of a threshold. If you're constantly in their company and everything's all about you and all about your problems, that person's going to want to stop spending time with you. And I would, I would say this. Have you ever thought to yourself, your problems might just go away or be a little less in your face if you start being interested in other people rather than just being interested in yourselves? So in order to tap into the blessing of God that is stored up in community for us, you have to be willing to give. You know, and I'm, I'm aware that some people, that, that's, that's incredibly hard for some people. All jokes aside, that's really difficult for some people. Because, you know, at times in your lives when you've tried to, when you've given yourself away to someone or to something, it may have gone badly for you. And, uh, you know, I'm aware that people have experienced really, really bad things in their lives, like things like rejection, things like uh, loneliness and isolation, and things, uh, you know, like depression, um, and, uh, and even abuse, because you've given yourself away. You made an attempt to give yourself away, and it didn't go well. But in an effort then to cover up and to stop yourself from being vulnerable all over again, you get isolated, you get lonely, you get depressed. And it's this vicious cycle. You think, I'm not going to do that again. I'm not going to give myself away to anybody ever again. I'm not going to be part of any community. I'm going to do this all myself because at least I don't hurt myself. But actually, you don't see that actually you do. It's a vicious cycle and all you end up doing by trying to protect yourself from that is actually making it worse for yourself and damaging yourself even more. So God made us in his image, right? We all agree on that. That's what the Bible says. Which means that we live for him. We live like him, sorry. We're relational beings. So in the beginning, it, it, it says, you know, you can read the account of creation for yourself. We're not going to do it now for time's sake. I'm going to finish in a few moments. But it says in the beginning, um, you know, it was literal paradise. Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, walking in the coolness of the day, in perfect, unbroken fellowship with God. 
They enjoyed the fullest experience of intimacy with each other. More intimate than me and you or anybody in our lives have ever experienced because this was perfect. This was before sin. This was before the fall. Like, just think of that. Like, total and unbroken intimacy with God and with each other. Like, wow. Like, that blows my mind. It sounds great, doesn't it? So, it raises this question, where did loneliness come from? How did loneliness, you know, that loneliness that haunts so many people's hearts and so many people's lives, you know, that's alienated us from each other, where did it, where did it rise from? You know, as the story of Genesis unfolds, we see the damage of alienation starting to wreck and ruin the perfection of life. Adam and Eve, what do they do once sin hits? Once they commit the first sin, they go and hide. The first instinct is to go and hide. It's to cover up, isn't it? It's to get away. I don't want to be seen. They go and hide when they've sinned. And Adam, cowardly, goes and blames Eve for the thing that he's done. Which clearly drives a wedge in this flawless intimacy that they've been experiencing. And you know, so we see from that point on that this perfect uh, fellowship, this perfect communion with each other, this perfect community, this perfect intimacy that they had been experiencing was replaced with what? Replaced with alienation, replaced with blame, replaced with distrust, shame. I'm not, I'm not trying to point out to anybody, but like I said, I want this to be challenging. Does, anybody, you know, does that resonate with anybody this morning? And it leaves me wondering, how could people who had it so good, perfection, nothing, something that no other human beings apart from Adam and Eve have ever experienced, how did people who had it so good end up with everything so out of sync, so out of whack? It all started going downhill when Eve believed that to live for herself and for her own gain was more important than living for people and living for God, isn't it? And to make matters worse, Adam follows suit. He did the same thing. So the lesson here is huge for us. That living for what's best for me, while I ignore your needs, and while you ignore my needs, and wishes, and all the interests of others, always brings alienation and loneliness. I just thank God that he made a way for us to be reconciled. You know, when Jesus died on the cross, he made a re- uh, an opportunity for our relationships to be restored, not just with God, but with each other as well. So the next point, I'm going to r- hurry through these because we're going to finish soon. The next point is this. God does not have a superstar policy. All right? God doesn't have a superstar policy. If you, uh, if you are to be all that God wants you to be, then you not only have to be committed to ministry and serving God, but you also... Have to, uh, have to be committed to the people that God puts on the journey alongside you. Right. If you want to be great for God, this is, this is the truth. It's no good just praying, I pray that my ministry would be fruitful, I pray that my this would be great, and that my this, and my, and my, and my, and my, and my. I think God sometimes just thinks to himself, I wish you'd stop praying for yourself and start praying for other people. Start pursuing the kingdom of God and all the people that are involved in that, and maybe then I'll give you the desires of your heart. God's intention is never to raise up superstars that, you know, that are great in and of themselves. His intention is that he places you in networks of relationships where people can serve and love each other and do great things for God in the process. That's the way it works. You, you think of somebody like, some, some of you guys will have heard of the missionary Hudson Taylor. 
You, know, you guys that have heard of him, you know, he, he traveled halfway around the world to a, um, a, a culture and a nation that not that many people over this side of the world knew much about. It was an incredible thing that he did. And a lot of people speak about him and all the great things that he did. But you know what? You know, reading, like, uh, reading into his life and stuff, and you could study it for yourself, you realize that he actually had some fantastic relationships with people around him, other believers, that meant that he could achieve the things that he did. He didn't do it without people around him. You know, you take somebody like Billy Graham, for instance. Billy Graham, probably one of the most important evangelists of the modern era. Literally millions and millions of people saved under his ministry. I remember seeing an interview with him one time. And, he, and, and, and of, of course, you know, people like that are honorable and we should always honor them. But, you know, he said one of the most important things, the people that he paid, he paid honor to the people in his life that did it with him. I think, I don't know if it's true or not, so don't quote me on it, but I think that into his old age, he lived on the same street as the same people that served in the ministry with him. I think that's fantastic. Isn't that an amazing picture of community? He didn't achieve it by himself. He wasn't a superstar. He realized that God's put me in community. I'm going to reach out to these people. I'm going to love them. And in the process, we're going to do something amazing for God together, even if my name's at the forefront of it. And so the last point is this. And then I'm going to um, bring the worship team back. In fact, the worship team can come and join me now. Uh, the last point is this. This side of heaven, I don't want us being under any illusions, there's no such thing as a perfect community. Okay? Anybody who thinks that there, that there is, there just isn't. It doesn't exist, this side of heaven. Like I can see you thinking to yourself, you know, does that even mean the church? Is he putting the church down here? Yes. I'm not putting the church down, but Yes. That includes the church too, because I'm a part of it, and you're a part of it, and you're not perfect, and I'm not perfect. And do you know what? God doesn't call us to a perfect community. He calls us to be an authentic community. An authentic community where, uh, you know, you are committed to me, and I am committed to you, and together we're committed to God. Is that all right? Yes. yes. And along the way, just so you know, uh, I will irritate you, Okay. Some of you are thinking, you already do. You're irritating me now. Along the way, I will irritate you, right? And you will irritate me. I will get on your nerves, and you will get on my nerves. We, you will disagree with me, and I will disagree with you. And that's not just a prediction or anything. That is, that's a guarantee, all right? That's a guarantee. And you know what? This is the amazing thing about the church, though. That's okay. God says, that's, that's okay. You can work through all of that. Because if we get community right, all of those things aren't the determining factors. Your opinion, my opinion, uh, this, that, and all the other. The determining factor is that we love Jesus Christ and we want to see the best for his church. If we can all have that mentality, then everybody gets on. And even though you disagree from time to time and irritate each other, like all families do, you're still on the, the right direction. You're still on the right path. Anyone who thinks that unity means that, you know, we all agree, hasn't got a very good perception of unity. Unity means that we love the community of believers and we submit out of respect and love for Jesus and for one another. That's it. You're, you're willing to sub, submit for one another and you're willing to submit to Jesus. And even if that means that you would drop your own agenda. That's unity. Not agreement, but saying we love Jesus Christ and for that sake... We're going to stay together. And so, you know, I'm finished now, but community... Uh,
connect groups, sorry, are starting up in a couple of weeks time. And like I said, community is so much more than just these kind of meetings. Community is so much more than tea and coffee after the meeting. Community is so much more than connect groups as well. But all of these things forming together and creating a culture where you love me and I love you and you're committed to me and I'm committed to you and together we're all committed to God and we're willing to spend time together and sometimes being convenienced for one, each, one another even when you can't make it to that group sometimes every now and again saying you know what I'm going to drop the other thing because I value these people that are on the journey with me that's community so in and of themselves, connect groups don't mean that we do community well. I don't want anybody going and saying, if anybody asks you what, how you do community at J28 Church and say, well, we do connect groups, that's just like a bit of a, a shallow answer, isn't it? That's just a part of it. But nevertheless, these groups will be fruitful for you and they will be a source of life if you're willing to throw yourself into them and participate in them. So over the coming weeks, again, we're going to announce to you what groups are available. And I'd love to see, you know, the vast majority of the church just being part of one of these groups. Not necessarily getting together as well. We don't, I don't like to see cliques as well. You know, when you have these groups, sometimes people gravitate to the people that are like them. You know, so you end up people, having people who are on the worship team together being in the same group and the people that are serving that team on that together. You know what, mix it up a bit. You might just find that God's going to do something amazing in your life because you spend time with somebody that you wouldn't normally spend time with. Come and spend time with me. I'm alright, I'm available. If anybody wants to spend time, no, no takers. We're going to start auctioning it off an hour with Nathan. But now, in all seriousness now, you know, I want us to let's get a grasp of this fact that we're community we're together in this and we're always going to be on the same journey together because whether you're a part of this local church or another local church like Andrea is going to be part of a different local church it doesn't mean that then she's like on a different team we're still Christians for goodness sake we're all on the same side the church universally globally we're on the same side